Thank you. Let's stand, open our Bibles. Exodus chapter 3. We started a series. I'm sure you know what it is now. If you pay any attention to the screen, God is working even when we don't see it. We'll start chapter 3, verse 1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God. Even to Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush had not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place Whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moses now has been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. God has taught him a multitude of lessons, the greatest of those being patience and humility. But he's going to appear in the burning vest. Now, here's what happened at this point. Moses thinks that his service for God is done. Have you ever been at that point in your life? You say, I'm... I'm done. I, I know God has a purpose for everyone else, uh, for those more gifted or those that haven't made the same mistake or for those that are younger. And uh, to his great surprise, as he sees this bush burning, all of us would do the same thing. If a bush is burning and yet alive, that merits a second look. And God's going to get his attention. Uh, here's the bush burned with fire, yet not consumed. And God calls him out of that bush. And I am not here to preach on the calling of God tonight, but God is still in the business of calling. I just believe people are not in the business of listening. And uh, young people, God is going to use Moses at 80 years of age. I cannot imagine. How many of you have noticed that uh, energy levels begin to change over time? And... Uh, how many of you realize that you can be sore after a Christmas or Thanksgiving Day meal just because of the trips to the table is a lot of exercise? How many of you ever pulled a hammy trying to get a seconds on turkey? That's going a little bit too far, but you understand, at 80, okay, these are the latter years his, his brother Sis has written about. Overtime, double overtime, triple overtime. You thank God for every ounce of strength and energy after 70. But here he comes with an incredible task that he's going to face between the age of 80 and 120. And we know this is all about God. Here's what uh, the Lord tells in verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Heard their cry by reading their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them. And then he makes it clear that he's going to use Moses, verse 11. And here's the question in the subject of the night. And Moses said to God, who am I? And uh, when God uses who is really the answer, not the question. Who, who, who am I? This is when God can really use us. When, when you're brash and bold and full of pride and you're saying, God, why aren't you using me more? 
and here's the place he's reached. Now, I, I believe, yes, of course, a little bit of apathy at this point. There's a little bit of contentment with his circumstances. He's fine with where he's at. He's not overjoyed with the thought of leading a, a million and a half people. I'm sure in his mind he was saying, Lord, if, if we would go back in time, that would look great, not at this stage of my life. And uh, so we know of the argument. We'll probably take time in the next few weeks to kind of dissect this passage. Not tonight, but in chapter 4, as he begins to argue with God and say, God, I'm, I'm not quite uh, really what you're looking for. How many of you have ever told God that before? I don't know what you're looking for, but you knocked on the wrong door, you called the wrong phone number, you arrived at the wrong address, and there are other people's more qualified chapter 4 verse 1 and Moses answered and said but behold they will not believe me he was right they will not hearken to my voice he was right they will say the Lord hath not appeared to thee he was right how many of you like to be right in your argument and still end up losing the discussion that's about what he is going to do in his argument with God. You're never going to win that argument. The Lord said to him, what is in thine hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said to Moses, put forth thine hand, take it by the tail. He put forth his hand. He caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Now, once again, what is our subject matter? God is working, even we don't see it. Now, how many are thankful for the times God says, okay, you don't see it, I'm going to make my work, my supernatural work, obvious. How many like that? Now, here's what happens a lot of times when you're soul winning, when you're preaching, you're teaching a class, so you prepare and you pray and you deliver the message that God has given to you. And in this case, uh, almost every service, you're looking at, Pews that are filled and people that come in and they're singing loud. But when it gets to the time of the preaching, 90% of the faces are very serious. Okay? Some are sleepy. Some are somber. Some look sickly. I'm just thinking of S's to keep this alliterated outline here. But occasionally... You, you see that person who just naturally looks pleasant. I, I don't know where they are. They usually sit. They must sit on the back row where I can't actually see them. But you will doubt. You, you, if, if you're facing the reality of I have the message from God and I want it to reach the heart and you know that's a supernatural work and you can barely reach the ears, let alone the heart, that's out of your reach. You know that depends upon God. If you're just basing anything on the superficial evidence of people's uh, countenance or facial reaction, you'll leave disappointed and downtrodden and doubt yourself every single service. But there's this supernatural work of God. You don't want to base it on an invitation call. I know churches where no one walks the aisle. And I know other churches where everyone walks the aisle. And you don't want to base your opinion on what God did in hearts on that response or lack of response. 
I've heard of services and testimonies uh, of preachers that preach, and one person walked out, and that person walked out, and ended up being called of God in that service, and I ended up on the mission field or passing the church. Thank God for all of that, but you can't, the work of God is not something that is always tangible or visible or recognizable to the human eye. God is doing a work in lives that go way beyond anything that I can see. And even if you gave a testimony, you know you can't share everything in a testimony to really put into words what God is doing in your heart and life. Are you following me tonight? So when we talk about seeing the hand of God working, so much of it is below the surface, but when it is visible, what do we do when you see someone respond to the gospel and the invitation or service or a Sunday school class or maybe outdoor knocking? There's such joy in saying, I know God's worked at other times, but, but when you have substantial evidence, you begin discipling someone, you see the growth in their home, their marriage, their spiritual walk. How many like that, the visible work of God? in hearts and lives. I mean, like seeing the supernatural. So here's what God does for us. Most is below the surface. That which he makes visible usually is what causes us greater joy. But you're going to have to trust, if you're in God's work, you're going to have to come to trust God as a parent in the lives of your children, as a teacher in the lives of your students, is a ministry leader in the lives of not only those working under you, but those you're ministering to. And it doesn't matter if it's a nursing home or a jail ministry or a Sunday school class. You've got to put that in God's hands or you'll become frustrated, angry, and at some point quit prematurely because you're not seeing God do what you want him to do in a visible form. And here's what God's going to do for most. You're going to say, okay. I'm not going to make everything visible, but when it comes to Pharaoh and his hard-heartedness, I'm going to send ten plagues. I'm going to send it by your hand. But here's what he's going to do for him. He's going to give him some visual illustrations. Verse 6, the Lord said, Furthermore, him put now thine hand in thy bosom, put his hand in his bosom when he took it out. Behold, it was leprous. And then the leprosy was removed. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to provide you some physical evidence. Now, here's what God did in verse 2. The Lord said to him, what's in thine hand? Now, when these plagues happen, God's going to use Moses. And young people, let, let me just make a few statements. When it, when it comes to God's will, okay, the best thing you can do is realize there's nothing within your natural power that can accomplish anything. Now, here's what we like to think. There's so much self-reliance. What can I do with my hands? Some of you can make beautiful furniture. You're incredible at woodworking. Some of you build houses. Others of you play incredible music, violins, pianos, cellos. Some of you have artistic talent. Okay, we're talking about the natural man. Now, when it comes to the spiritual realm, to play the piano, people do that symphony orchestras, and it changes no one on a spiritual level, edifies no one on a spiritual level. We're talking about the spiritual, the supernatural, the heart of man. 
And here's what I tell you're going to have to lead these people. He's been called. He's been trained. He's been developed. God has him exactly where he wants him to be. And now God is going to empower him. And let me help you out here. One of the puzzling questions that torment Christians is, why does that person have a special touch of God upon them and that person does not? Why does that not have anything to do with your educational level or what Bible college you studied at? Or God chooses, and I believe every man can have the power of God upon his life in ministry, but there is a special touch of God. And young people, you ought to pray for God's hand upon you, whether you are ministering in a, a Christian education platform or Sunday school level, pastoring a church, starting a church, working as evangelist. Uh, God's called you to be a missionary, whatever it is. You want the power and touch of God on your life for that ministry. God just doesn't hand out rods to anyone at any time. And I've looked at men over the course of my 52 years of life, and he's given unique blessing and power and touch to certain men. Some had drunks as fathers. Some didn't get saved until they were 30 years of age. Some got saved in prison and others grew up in a Christian home. Some were evangelists, others were pastors, some were missionaries. I had a pastor tell me the other day, uh, I, I wouldn't have that man to preach. Uh, he said, I love him. And he's an incredible speaker, but he doesn't have the touch of God. He just doesn't have it. Now, when it comes to the rod of God, I'm not trying to create confusion tonight. I need you to understand, God is going to do something supernatural through Moses. He's going to be working under the surface in ways that can't be seen. But at this point, he needs Moses to know because Moses is doubtful. And I've, I've heard people, I want to be more careful. The longer I preach, I want to be more accurate in the rendering of the Scripture. I, I don't want to deviate from what God says or insert my opinion into it. I've heard Moses attacked on several levels for his unbelief. No, when you understand the calling of God in, in this kind of calling, you're supposed to lead a minute and have people... If you think that that's not overwhelming at any age, okay, there's an amount of pride there that we can't even measure. He's naturally going to be overwhelmed. I, I think this is a natural thing for him to say, God, I'm not qualified. I can't speak to this crowd. I can't pull this off. I, I can't fulfill this responsibility, God. You're, you, you're picking the wrong person. And here's what God's going to do. He's going to give him visual illustration. I'm going to put my hand upon you. I'm going to put my power upon you. And I'm going to do it through this rod so those around you have visual proof that this is my rod and this is what I use to bring forth the plagues and the miracles. Now look... Look what happens, verse 20. Moses took his wife and his sons, set them upon an ass. He returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took what? The, the rod of God. 
I believe this is the only reason he ever set off to speak to Pharaoh. I don't believe for a second he would have left the wilderness with his family without that rod. He would say, this is hopeless. This is useless. I know Pharaoh. I know my own inability. I know I cannot convince him to let these people go. There's no way I'm going to attempt to walk into something doomed for failure. He's, he's at a point in his life, he's accepted his own imperfections, his own faults, his own inabilities, his own failures. He's dealt with plans that have changed dozens of times, and he's dealt with plans that face planted. He's looking back at a calling from 40 years ago and saying, you know what, I messed up that moment. Most likely any other moment I'm provided, I'll mess that up as well. He's not growing old at this point. He's old. He's not on the journey. He's at the destination. He's already there. He's disappointed with himself. He's disappointed with his circumstances. Contented to just be hidden from everyone's view. So, God's going to give him a rod because he's saying, Moses, you can't see this. Have you ever been thankful? You were placed somewhere, called by God to do something, placed in that position, and you stepped in with great fear and trepidation, and God gave you some visual proof that that's where you were supposed to be, and that's how you were supposed to be ministering, and whether that's someone getting saved or young people being trained or new converts being discipled, you said, okay, God, thank you for the tangible evidence. Thank you for handing me the rod. Because you were saying, okay, God, if you don't give me a rod, and if it's not visible within a certain amount of time, okay, I'm just backing up. Now, here's what Moses is going to do. He's going to be obedient, and he's going to take this rod, but he immediately understands this, this is not his hand that's going to perform these miracles. This is God's hand. And I want you to go to chapter 7, because here's what happens. is He goes down and begins to use this rod. Look what it says. Chapter 7, verse 8. Let's start back at verse 1. Let's just do some additional Bible reading tonight. How many are okay with that? In case you haven't gotten this far, we'll do some additional reading. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And he said, verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is just the way it's going to happen. I'm going to multiply my signs and my wonders. But Pharaoh shall not hearken to you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. He said, I'm going to destroy their gods. I'm going to bring devastation upon the land. Why? Verse 5. Here's the purpose. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt. He said, this is about not just my people knowing that I am almighty God, but Egypt knowing I am a God above their gods. Moses was fourscore years old. He's doing what he's been commanded. Now skip down to verse 10. Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, once again, this is God at work in a tangible, visible way. Had to happen for Pharaoh, had to happen for Moses, had to happen for Aaron, for them to continue. Thank God, but don't expect all of life 
to be this way. Yeah. Have you ever had that rod and you threw it down? <laughs> Babe, I promise God's hands upon me. How many of you ever preached? And not even your wife walked the aisle. We've seen people hold evangelistic events and no one got saved. Okay, that'd make you want to quit, doubt God, run from your calling. Now, thankfully, in this case, threw it down and it became. Now, look what happens next. Pharaoh also called the wise men, the sorcerers, now the magician of Egypt. They also didn't like manna with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents. Now, this is important. Young people need to listen. This is a lot of Christianity. People in the flesh can do amazing things with the rod. I'm talking about now there are people, football games with batons, they can throw that thing 30 feet in the air on fire and catch it and not be burnt. Yeah. People can snuff out another life with a rod. They can catch large fish with a rod. People can do a lot of tricks with a rod. And these magicians said, we can do what you do. Now, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a series of miracles that take place. And every time Moses and Aaron use this rod, the magicians do exactly what they did with their rods. Now, young people, this is what's going to cause confusion in your mind. Because you're going to see a man of God with the touch of God do the work of God and maybe have some fewer visible tangible results than you expected. And then you're going to see someone who's obviously performing in the flesh with more tangible, visible results. Now, let me ask you this. If you, if you were there and you're saying... Moses claims to be a man of God, and here he comes with Aaron. They throw the rod down, it becomes a snake, and the magicians say, we can do that too. They have rods that throw them down, they all become snakes. Well, you say, well, Moses' rod swallowed the other rods. He just has a bigger snake than the rest. I've watched a lot of people over the course of my life plant churches, successful church plants in the flesh, build mega ministries, in the flesh. Win souls in the flesh. You'd be surprised what the arm of the flesh can do. You'd be surprised what God allows the arm of the flesh to do. And let me ask you this. If God is trying to establish Moses as his man with his touch, why would he allow the magicians to repeatedly perform the same miracles with their enchantments and their rods? I'm, I'm looking like I'm causing more confusion tonight than answering questions. Verse 15, get the end of Pharaoh in the morning. He goeth out to the water, thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come, and the rod which was turned into a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, the Lord the God of the Hebrews, has him into thee, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Verse 17, I saith, Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters. And what's going to happen? Now, let me ask you this. Was Moses, did he have any power or any tricks up his sleeve? Was anything he was doing a result of his hand or his rod? Or was this all 
his God. Was it 80-20, 50-50, or 100% God, 0% Moses? Okay. Verse 19, the Lord said unto Moses, Saying to Aaron, Take thy rod, stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt. He did this, verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. They did the same thing. Moses, you made serpents with your rod. We'll make serpents with our rod. You make water turn to blood with your rod. We'll make water turn to blood with our rod. Why would God even allow this to happen? If he was trying to establish that he was greater, if he was trying to establish Moses as his leader, why would he let crazy men in the arm of the flesh accomplish as much or do the supernatural in the same way that Moses was touched and sent and called to perform these plagues and do the supernatural? Young people, here's what Satan's going to do. He's going to play with your mind. Oh, I wish everyone that claimed to be spiritual was spiritual. And I wish everyone that claimed to have touched God actually had touched God. And I wish everyone in God's service was right with God. But even those that are right with God aren't always right with God. And all, even those that have his touch don't always have his touch. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to see, I, I think... God, and I feel like it's less and less. I don't even want to get in an argument with those of you that are older. It's just factual. This generation has less of the touch of God, more of the touch of fraud, more superficial. They've learned more tactics, perfected more programs, and literally they know how to do in the strength of their own flesh what is only supposed to be done in the might of God's great power and is not the supernatural, but at times it certainly appears to be that way. It's not the rod of God. It's the rod of fraud. But it looks so similar, it's hard to distinguish. Now look what it says in chapter 8. Verse 5, the Lord said unto Moses, Saint Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams and over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land. Verse 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments, and they brought up frogs. Now at this point, you're saying, okay, the snakes and the blood, but how does this just keep happening that their rods seem to be as powerful and super... Now you say, Pastor, it's not supernatural. Okay, you do that. You go bring me a stick and send forth frogs. Let me see you hit the water fountain and turn water to blood. That's not supernatural. And here's what we've seen, young people, when we're talking about the touch of God. First of all, this comes with something that's holy. God doesn't need much. Matter of fact, The first use of the word holy, the first mention of holy in the Bible was found a few chapters previously where God looked at Moses and said, take off your shoes. You're standing on what? What? Holy dirt? You know what God does? Whatever he takes and whatever is dedicated to him, he says, 
that turns it from average normal to... I just took normal, common, mountain, soil, turned it holy. I said, take off your... Don't even touch that. Don't, eat, don't even touch that dirt. What you think is common, regular, average, that's holy dirt because it has my presence. You take off your shoes before you even go there. Doesn't that make you happy? Doesn't holy dirt make you happy? That's us. Just at our best, holy dirt. And here's, here's what I want you to see tonight. When we're talking about God is working, I want God to work in my life, and I want God to work in my church, and I know it won't always be visible. I would like for it to always be visible. Life doesn't work that way. But I know God is working in Landon's heart, in Adam's heart, and sometimes I can see it, and sometimes I can put my finger on it, and sometimes I can show it to others, and in other times there are spells and moments there's no visible proof. But God says, you need to walk by faith, not by sight anyways. And if you could always see visible proof, it would only be building up your flesh because you would think you're the reason that all that fruit is visible. How, how many of you have ever gotten nervous about your kids? And because, I mean, you're giving them devotions. You're not just giving them devotions. I mean, you're giving them devotions. And you're, you're training for the service of God. And you're making sure they got it. And then you say, I'm not so sure they got it. And then you come home and I, I'm totally respectful and kind. And you even hear them throwing out words of gratitude. And then you realize it's six days before Christmas. <laughs> and they're about ready to ask you for something that they know is not under the tree. No, that, you know, you, you find out a lot of that superficial. Mm-hmm, yes. That's not God. That's not God's work in someone's life. Oh, church, if I could get you to, to, to grasp what I'm trying to say tonight, that this rod of God and the touch of God and the power of God, it, it's got to be there no matter where you're ministering. It has to be there. If you're ministering the prisons, it has to be there. If you're ministering the kids' ministries, it has to be there. But when it comes to something on this level, the supernatural, God determines where and how. And you don't want to be confused by the magicians. Because nine times out of ten, you know a magician when you see one and you say, that's plastic. That is fake. And that's not of God. Now, he can do things. He can preach a marvelous message and he can manipulate a crowd and he can provide tangible results. I think there's enough spiritual discernment in the average person to say, and we all can be fooled, but there are things that are just easily identified as God. Purity, holiness, humility, transparency, honesty. Okay, is that too difficult to identify? These magicians were none of that. 
but they were certainly pretty good at performing the same miracles that Moses and Aaron were performing with the same rod. Now here's, here's what happens. As God begins to work through this, I want you to go to uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Moses uses that rod to turn the water to blood, the dust and the lice. It brought down fire and hell. It brought the locusts. It parted the Red Sea. Now it's going to bring forth uh, water out of a rock. 17 verse 4. Moses uh, uh, cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto the people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take thee of the elders of Israel. And what? Thy rod. Wherewith thou smotest the river, take it in thy hands and go. Behold, I'll stand before thee there upon the rock in the horror of, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. Moses did so on the side of all the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, Meribah, because of the chiding of the children. Now, here's what, here's what Moses is doing. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out, men, go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand at the top of the hill with what? Why, why is it that when we see in these latter stages, God's saying, take thy rod and take this rod, and Moses is telling Aaron, no, you take uh, the rod of God. There's no confusion in his mind where this power is coming from, what is taking place. Moses is identified, this is God. This is all God. I'm not touching a rock. I'm not going to the Red Sea. I'm not putting this rod over the dust. I'm, I'm not attempting to do any of this in my flesh because I am not seeking failure. I need the miraculous hand of God. Let me ask you this. How is it that after we see a few miracles... Instead of becoming more convinced this is the rod of God, usually we become more convinced that I can do this without God. I've watched people that early on in their ministry, they prayed over every sermon, and now they preach and never pray. They used to pray before every door they knocked, and now they'll go weeks knocking doors and never ever Stop praying. They pray before every class. Panic. Oh, God, I don't know how to communicate to these kids. I don't know how I'm going to reach them. I don't know how I can help them or train them or see them saved. And now they can leave after message. That was a pretty good message. Never prayed over that one. You know what you see in the life of Moses? That there was a clear understanding this rod it's something God gave to me because I need my hands on something that's tangible. Moses would have never gone to the river, never gone to Pharaoh, never smitten the dust, never parted the Red Sea had he not had that rod in his hand. It gave him confidence because it get, when, when God said, Moses, you're doubting about my plan. I'm with thee. Now take thy rod. I'm going to give you a visual gift of my presence. But never, not for one moment, did he ever fall back into trusting. Now, I, I think a large part of that was the fact he was 80 years old. 
He'd already trust in the arm of his flesh. But church, if we ever needed the power and the touch of God, it's in 2024. And if there was ever a generation that used the rod and then set it down and said, you know what? I could pull this one off without the rod. Here's what Moses said every step. Aaron, get the rod of God. He never told Aaron, go get thy rod. You go get the rod of God. And if we don't do this with the rod of God, it's doomed for failure. We have a generation of Christians that don't need any proof because they're so confident in the flesh. They will scream, scheme and dream and plan and perfect until they can produce in the flesh what has been. They study these revivals, and now if we get the right music and we get people positioned perfectly and we get you to give them the nod and grab them by the arm and say a quick prayer, we can produce the same numbers. We can produce the numerical equivalence of what was done in the power of God without the prodding of man. Now, hold on for a second, young people. You need the touch of God. You need the power of God, no matter where you're ministering. But you're going to see people in this life, maybe even some young people in this church, young people outside of this church, you're going to see God as a special touch on special people for a special reason, special purpose. He just does. Can't explain it. You can't study it out. You can't determine it. That's why did God pick Moses? Oh, we see a series of reasons, and we'll study some of those. But ultimately, it's God's choice. But here's what happens. You need to be careful because as much as it takes for God to ever say, I'm going to give you that rod that's alone. Remember this, when it's a rod of God, at any time he desires, he can come and take it back. Oh, Moses may have carried it and Moses may have carved it. But until God touched it, it didn't produce lice out of dust. It didn't turn water to blood. It couldn't part the Red Sea. And let me ask you this. Oh, it was a beautiful thing. It was amazing what God did. He led God's, his people out in the wilderness, and God used Moses in a great way. But there was one day and one moment, the last time he was ever able to use the rod of God, and he used it in the flesh. And people made him mad. He was mad for good reason. If, if there was any man with an excuse to be angry, it was Moses. Listen to a million and a half people grumble for four decades. And then he, that, that phrase he said, must ye make me fetch water? No, you don't have to fetch any water. God will provide water. And he took the rod of God, which was never supposed to be used on that rock, and he used it in the arm of the flesh. And God said, Moses, I'm going to take that from you. From Moses? 
Oh, oh, oh I, I don't, I don't want to even, I don't want to consider. I do not want to consider. Got taken the rod. I'd rather take it and beat me with it than take it. Oh, maybe one tonight. I'm, I'm not underestimating your ability to understand a message. I am firmly, squarely planted on the reality of my inability to communicate properly. But if only one could get it tonight, young people, the rod of God is a gift directly from God that you don't ever want to underappreciate. And the arm of your flesh is the most dangerous tool in all of ministry. Because most never even desire the rod of God. They can fabricate one more beautiful and more effective than anything else they've seen in ministry. And there's nothing more dangerous. 